Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And on this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I sat down with Jeff Ashleman to talk about how to harness the power of your people. You've got a great team of candidates, individuals, employees, but are you getting the most out of them? Maybe it's because of how you're showing up, the intention, or whether or not you even have an intention about how you develop them. That's what we're going to explore more today. But let me tell you more about today's guest. Jeff Ashleman is a, an executive coach with over 30 years of experience from combat in Iraq to the corporate boardroom. He's a sought after expert in building and scaling results driven teams. And Jeff's leadership style embodies personal development, consistency, and a tenacious work ethic. And today he'll be talking about tips and tricks that you can do to harness the power of your people. Enjoy. Welcome, Jeff. I am so excited to do today's podcast with you talking about how to harness the power of your people, which I can only imagine our listeners right now feeling like my employees aren't as motivated as what they once were. Do I even have the right team members? Who's even left of my team? What does it take to actually keep someone happy today? We are going to be talking about how to harness the power of your people. And there's a few things that you actually need to set up from the jump to make sure that you're setting up a great relationship. Jeff, before we dive into our topic, I love to have all of our guests, you know, just briefly introduce themselves, talk about your background, what made you interested in the topic and so on and so forth. So if you wouldn't mind, would you go ahead and tell our audience a little bit about you? Right. Absolutely. So I actually started my career in the home building industry, but uh, prior to that, I was actually in the military. So I went right out of high school and right into the military. While I was in the military, even though it was very peacetime, I ended up in Saudi Arabia and then Iraq for the Desert Storm conflict. And I was 20 years old when I was coming back from that experience. And I, I knew that uh, I'd been, I'd seen and been asked to do the worst things that I'd have to do in my life. And so far today at age 53, that's still true. Started this home building career, started out in the field as a frontline manager, leading people and getting things done, then went through progressive levels of leadership and management. And then ultimately I spent the last dozen years of my career in a senior executive role, really leading the operations for the entire team. So pretty diverse background. And, and now I'm, I'm using that experience to help people and companies grow and, and achieve. I love it. Well, and we found out a fun fact during our pre-call that you are actually a graduate of Crosscom's leadership development program. Absolutely. Tell me about your experience. I mean, rarely do I get to kind of interview someone that's been a participant. So I'm curious, what was your experience like? It was fantastic. It, it was really one of the first formal things that my organization sent me to was the Crestcom. And what I loved about that experience for me is it was a bunch of new leaders gathered together. So it was, you know, it was not like I was just there on my own and trying to figure it out because what I really loved about the program specifically, Jen, I mean, it's these old school wisdom, you know, it was John Hersey and Lisa Ford and Nito Quibane, and they would show videos that we would, you know, take the content and then we would get back together like at our tables and talk about the principles. And then the most specific thing that I love is they always gave you actionable things that you could take out, you know, that day and use with, with the team. And, and it was just such a, a, such a powerful 
resource for me at a very, very early time in my leadership career. Oh, I, I love just even being able to talk to someone about the experience. I'm, of course, a facilitator. I've been through the whole program, but we rarely get to talk about it on the podcast. So thank you so much for sharing your insights. And yeah, one of the greatest things is you don't just struggle alone. There's other right. people in the class that you can draw experiences and learn from. But I know that that likely also was a way where we start to learn and think about how do we actually be effective leaders? And today, of course, we're going to then progress into how to harness the power of your people. But you had talked about, you know, in our pre-call, just some guiding principles that you live by in your life as it relates to leadership. And I'm curious if you'd be willing to share those with our audience. Yeah, the the two that I that stick out for me, the first one is called uh, demonstrate what you want, right? So that leads to what I call my ex, my leadership style, is expectations leadership. And so, you know, that's pretty classic Gandhi, right? Like be the change that you want to see. And then the other principle that I use is give people a reputation to live up to. And that's, that's Dale Carnegie 101, right? And so I love to use this example of, and it can be something, Jen, just as simple as a uniform, right? And so I had a team that wore a particular uniform. They had a collared shirt with a, you know, logo, which is what most companies in my industry did. But I went further. I went and they all had like, you know, khaki pants and that kind of thing, because I wanted to set our team apart, right, from the rest. And so I think that's an example of giving your team a, a reputation to live up to. When I, when I would give them those new shirts from the organization, I would kind of be joking with my staff, say, hey, Whatever size they tell you to order, I want you to order a half size bigger. You know why? And then I would tell the team member, I'm looking for you to fill this thing up, right? I want you to be a bigger person. I need you to be bigger than you've ever have been in your career. And so that was kind of a euphemism for the shirt. And I want to give you another example of the expectations leadership for me personally, which was I worked in the office and, you know, Typical kind of Friday, you have casual Friday and maybe you could wear jeans or, you know, something less than corporate casual, right? But I never wore jeans because on Fridays, my team was not going to have casual Friday in the field. They always had appointments with the customer. They always had to look like the position. And so because I was allowed to do it, and yet I wanted to set the example and the standard for my team. So I never wore jeans and I never dressed down because they weren't able to. So many, I love what you even share because so many don't, people don't realize that the subtle things you do or you don't do in terms of expectations leadership. I know last week I had a class and they were um, talking about in their organization as it relates to walking the walk and building trust with their team, that they had had a recent example of an executive that said, everyone must come into the office. And then this executive didn't come into the office. And they were talking about the impact that they feel in terms of trusting this leader, that this leader is one that will ask them to do things, but doesn't do things themselves. And that makes it harder to want to follow someone. So I really appreciate, you know, just reminding us like expectations, you know, having the expectations and then also giving people a reputation to live up to, showing that you believe in them. But I know that within that, one of your beliefs is about the fact that leadership is hard. 
<laughs> Tell me more about how you look at leadership or, you know, how we might be able to approach it because it's not just a quick, easy button to get people to do what you need them to do. Exactly. And, and I think when you're looking at leadership, you need to look at this almost like it's outside of your day job, right? Because most of us have responsibilities and tasks and things that we need to do within whatever position we hold. And then leadership ends up being almost something that's on top of that, right? So it is, it's having the conversation with somebody. It's, it, leadership to me is, is long game. It's, it's, it's setting expectations with people, but it's really, it's getting to know people. Again, that's classic Dale Carnegie, right? Is get, and be genuinely interested in somebody. And that's, that's not always easy to do when you have your day-to-day responsibilities. And, and it's not like in today's day and age, they give you less to do, right? The whole corporate environment anymore and just being an entrepreneur is, entrepreneur is trying to do more with less. And that includes ourselves. So it takes an extra special investment to, I, I personally believe, to be a good leader. Yeah, it's intention. And, you know, I just got done even talking about connection with people and you hit that. We want to feel connected at work. We actually want to feel that we belong and that we produce value or provide value. It gives us that meaningful work, but we also need a leader that's going to act as the orchestra or like as the, I guess I'm not sure what expression is the person that's leading an orchestra, you know, helping us be our best self. So I love that you just talked. It requires intention. Sorry, there's not an easy button. There's an easy button when you follow the process of leadership, but you don't get away with it or get the results that you want without following the process. So let's, let's dive into the topic. How can you actually harness the power of your people? How do you do this? What's the starting point for that? I personally believe it starts with before they're even your people. So it starts at the recruiting stage, right? And then it really quickly transitions into the onboarding. And so I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Ernest Shackleton. He was the first person that led the successful expedition to the South Pole. And he actually, when he created the, the ad that he wanted to find the people for this mission, he said, men wanted. For a hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in the event of success. So what does that tell you about what his mission is in one sentence, right? And so if you tell people up front what your mission is, does that mean like, and it's as Maybe they're probably not all going to be as intense as Mr. Shackleton's here, right? But if you expect big things from people and you expect high performance, then why not say it up front in your job description? Are you going to be weeding people out from applying to your position? Probably. Are you going to weed out the right people? Likely. So, and then the people that you do attract and actually apply for the position. And then if you use that in, in your job description going forward, what's the likelihood that you're going to get a more targeted and specific person who's going to be able to rise to the top in your organization? And then the onboarding, you need to be just as intentional, right? So I'm a big fan of just like the sports analogy of when you bring the new team member in and they go into the locker room and their jersey's already hanging in with their name on the back of it, that type of feeling, right? So 
How about a handwritten note to somebody before they start in your organization? Heck, if you're going to be a good leader, how about just a handwritten note to anybody ever, right? Now, I know that's not as prevalent in today's day and age, but I've been using that now for about 15 or 20 years to stand out as a leader, as a person who would, again, take, is it easy to write somebody a handwritten note? No, it's not easy because you're writing in your own hand and you have to have thank you cards and you actually have to use snail mail and you have to do all these other things. But if you really want to stand out and you want to be different, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. Letting people know. I want to, I want to back up to even the recruitment piece, because there's something you said that just triggered a thought that I wonder why most companies, because I can think about my own experience. Typically, they don't tell you the hard in the interview because they're afraid that it might alienate you or that you might not find the position attractive. And so we avoid the hard, which leads to a surprise when I start that job of just how truly it is. Why do you think, and even going back to the job descriptions of not thinking about the hard and using that as a way to weed out the wrong candidates and so the other candidates can clearly see what they're up for. Why do you think it's important to set expectations before they even get to onboarding throughout that recruiting and hiring process? Too many people follow followers. Follow a leader. Be a leader. Do something different. That's, yeah. that's the difference. That's, just... that's why I think things get watered down. Because people follow followers. Yeah. Well, I don't want to say to them, because I, I know that I've sat, should we tell them that they're going to work with a really difficult client? Should we tell them that they're going to? Yes. Yes. Let them know. Because that's who you want on the project is the person that knows it's a difficult client and they want to bring their A game to make that happen. And guess what you'll get? Nine times out of 10, you'll get A game. Yes. Well, and it's easier to self-orient, to understand what it takes to succeed, to say, okay, this is what they needed from me. I talked about that. I knew this, eyes wide open, instead of feeling like they adjusted the expectations or oversold the opportunity to me only to find out it was definitely not what I wanted. So I I appreciate the candidness in that process. And I, I hope that more companies, I know there are some that do it, but I don't believe that many actually do because we don't want to talk about hard. The majority right. of people are also conflict avoiders. So they're like, what happens if I tell them the hard? It's not as bad. They might decide this isn't going to be a good fit for you. And I think you probably see this. I hear about, you know, and I've done this myself, that initially, even when the red flags are there, I've still been like, but I can handle that. Like I had an interview with someone that said, I want you to, to interview that, that leader that you'd report to. And this was the skip level. So this was the VP. And he's like, and come back and tell me what you think. And I was so ego driven then that all the red flags were there, but I was like, I can still do it. But at the end of the day, that's my responsibility because they at least set the expectations of you might work with someone that's a little bit challenging. Let's see how you're going to do. Crosshelm is a global organization dedicated to developing effective leaders. Companies all over the world have seen their managers transformed into leaders through our award-winning and accredited leadership development programs. Our signature BPM program provides interactive management training with a results-oriented curriculum and prime networking opportunities. If you're interested in learning more about our flagship program and developing your managers into leaders, please visit our website to find a leadership trainer near you. 
Or maybe you yourself have always wanted to train and develop others. Crestcom is a global franchise with ownership opportunities available throughout the world. If you have ever thought about being your own boss, owning your own business, and leveraging your leadership experience to impact businesses and leaders in your community, Crestcom may be the right fit for you. We're looking for professional executives who are looking for a change and want to make a difference in people's lives. Learn more about our franchise opportunity on the Own a Franchise page of our website at crestcom.com. Let's dive back into onboarding. Um, I've read stats and I wish I remembered the source of this stat that people will make the decision whether or not they want to stay in your organization within the first 30 days. How do you think or what information are they using to determine whether or not they want to stay there? I mean, I love the idea of the handwritten note. What other cues are people using to formulate, is this a place I actually want to invest my time? Yeah, and I think the the other thing that the handwritten note suggests, in addition to just being different, because hardly anybody does that, when you're when you get some something from somebody before it even happens, that's the hallmark of expectations leadership for me is to say the words before the event even happens. And for me, that was born out of not wanting to have conflict. And I would need to have conflict on job sites or in my roles, but I didn't want to. So I really went out of my way to make sure that the expectations that I was setting with people were really clear about what our mission was here and what each of our responsibilities was in that. And so I think when you do something like the handwritten note or for instance, when, and I honestly think people know within the first three days of whether they're going to stay at this company or not, because if, if you and a couple of ideas that, that I would share with people that I've done in the past, that has been super successful is let's, let's have like an onboarding buddy for the new person who's starting. And, and first of all, I think you should have a really intentional onboarding process. Like it should literally be a document. And you should give them a little agenda when they first start at the company and say, hey, over the next two weeks, this is this is the way it's going to go for you. You're going to go to different departments. You're going to meet all the people in the company. What if they just took you and, you know, if you're in the office setting and they could walk you around and introduce you to the people that are, you know, on the floor of the business on day one? What if it's a virtual setting and you can say, hey, we're going to we're going to take a few minutes this morning and introduce Jen. She's our brand, you know, she's brand new to the team. And, you know, you could really pump that up. And what if you built a culture where everybody expected that and they were, you know, welcoming to the new team member. And again, if you go back to the onboarding buddy, it's like, well, I've got this extremely intentional process, but, you know, for any reason, Jen, if, if, you know, in the first week and, you know, maybe you went through the HR onboarding, but you didn't remember the specific thing about the benefits package, and maybe you can't get a hold of HR, you could just ask your onboarding buddy and maybe they've got the answer for you. And if they don't have the answer, they'll help you get the answer. But if you did things like that, like I had an old boss that used to say, when you start the first couple of days of a company, it's literally like you're in first day of second grade, right? And if you think about it in that kind of way, I think that's a good way to approach it. Oh my gosh. There's so many thoughts that that even triggers one public service announcement I would make for anyone in their onboarding, please write a list of your acronyms and company jargon, because there's nothing that makes me feel like more of an idiot or that I don't belong than not understanding the conversation that everyone's having around me. And that's such a simple thing, yet people don't do it because they're like, oh, they'll catch on, they'll figure it out. 
Why not make it easier for them so they don't have to stop listening to you to try to figure it out, which is what happens anytime someone uses a word I'm unfamiliar with or an acronym that I've never heard of before. And again, the judgment of, I do not get this. So maybe I am not going to be a good fit. Right. And, you know, and I think it comes back to that, that desire of like, it's starting a new job can feel so lonely. Like, I love the enthusiasm. Yes. Like so excited to be here, but I don't have any friends at this new school that I'm at. I don't know the kids here. And I love your suggestion of having the onboarding buddy because that's giving someone a friend at work, which we know the benefits of connection in the workplace can, you know, create less burnout, less stress, more satisfaction, higher engagement just by knowing someone else cares about us. Why don't we do that? I mean, why do you think people aren't deliberate? Because I think the signs have been there a lot over the last decade of the importance of onboarding, but yet you still hear of stories where my computer wasn't ready. I didn't even have access to that thing that they wanted me to be using. No one even taught me how to do that. Why do you think we are, maybe, maybe that's an oversight for us. Why do you think we're missing the importance or actually build it? Why do you think we're not doing or taking the time to create thoughtful onboarding? Well, if I didn't just say people are following followers again, <laughs> what, what I would say is people are not being intentional, right? They're not thinking about what could make this process different. What could make this process better? Do you, I used to ask, and, and here's another. So after you're at the end of the onboarding, right? Let's say that's 90 days in. That's typically where it was in my organization. Guess what I had at the end of 90 days? I had a meeting with that new person at the end of 90 days. And here's what I asked them. Okay, Jim, you've been fresh onto our team now for 90 days. I know we talked and, you know, I get probably I would have had a chance to meet them in the interview process, but they would have went through their whole onboarding with probably just seeing me in the halls or on meetings. But I did get a chance to check in with them at 90 days. And I asked questions like, okay, so 90 days in. How has it been so far? Have you felt welcome? Do you understand your job description? Have you, have you made interactions with the people that you work with? Do you feel like, here's one of the most specific questions. Jen, do you feel like you have the, res- have you been equipped with the resources that you need to be successful? Because if I'm a hiring manager and the answer to that, anything, the answer to that question is not a heck yes then you as the hiring manager have not done your job. You, you've just put another team member on. And then at the end of the conversation, it's like, these are the kind of things that you can do in an organization. And as you can imagine, everything that I'm telling you is extra credit, right? This is in addition to your day job to be able to schedule meetings. And, and I'm talking about, I would do this for everybody in my operation and I, you know, of a in our company, we had about 150 people and there were about 80 on my teams and we were hiring people all the time. So it was a big commitment of my time to do the handwritten notes and do these onboarding meetings or do the interview process. But it was worth it because this is this is different. And and again, I think that's what I mean or the examples that I would use for intentional. Yeah, I love that. Well, and I think you gave some valuable metrics or indicators that leaders can use in terms of conducting, you know, or how we would evaluate and assess an effective onboarding process. 
Do they feel connected? Do they know who to go to for what? Do they have the resources like, you know, to be able to do their job? Do they have the training? You know, those are foundational questions that if we just start to think intentionally, what, what are our goals of effective onboarding? And then follow up, get the feedback, see where you made it, see where you missed it. Because you have opportunities to grow that you can learn from and invest in your next new hire to improve your process. We operate too dang fast and we make it more complicated by not slowing down. Exactly. Now, I know that you had said recruiting. So it starts before they walk in the door. And then it's all about their onboarding, their first experience. What else helps us how, um, harness the power of our people? I know you had talked about communication. And tell me more about what you meant by that. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of what I call frequent and structured communication. And I was an org- I worked in an organization where we used a one-page strategic plan. That's something that I use with my clients today. So a one-page strategic plan for the business, I actually have a one-page strategic plan for my life. I also help clients with that. But a one-page strategic plan is the North Star. It breaks down the who we are. It breaks down the where we're going. It breaks down the what are the goals for the year? And then it breaks down the goals for the quarter. So the one-page strategic plan gets updated every quarter. So I'm a big fan of bringing the entire organization together, whatever that looks like in your organization. It could be face-to-face if your organization is that size, doing a breakfast and talking about it, or it could be a virtual connection opportunity. But you bring the entire every person in the organization together on a quarterly basis, and you're doing two different things. One, you're just looking at the quarter you just completed, and you're saying, how are we doing? This is what we said that we were going to do. Did we do it? And then you're looking at the next quarter, and you're saying, okay, this, you know, based on all the information and how we just did, this is our biggest focus going forward for this quarter. I don't, I don't think there are at least the organizations I've worked with, there are very few that do that. Most of them do the middle part. They have maybe monthly or biweekly leadership and management meetings where they talk about things at the senior and mid-level leader level, but they then rely on their frontline leaders to communicate that message all the way down. And while that is an important component, if you're not selling the vision from the top, then you're not properly engaging your team. And then here is the most powerful of all. I'm a big daily huddle guy. So within small teams and groups, and I mean, even at like the leadership team level, think like Ritz Carlton, huddle in the morning. Like it's, it's called what's up? Like, what are you doing today? And then stucks and delights. What are you stuck on? What are you delighted for? I've been using this for over a decade in my career. It's one of the most powerful things I've ever implemented in my entire career. I love that. Re- will you repeat that for me one more time? Uh-huh. Uh, so just, I like that it's a nice tight flow that they can use. So tell me, tell me it one more time. The huddle is what's up. So it doesn't necessarily mean like run me through your schedule for the day. They could be working on a big project, something of that nature. And then you do stucks and delights. So what do you, if there's anything that you're particularly stuck on, you don't have to be stuck on anything, but if you are stuck on something, share it. You never solve in the group, but oftentimes things get solved. And then you share delights. Like, what are you delighted about? And delights are usually 
70% personal and 30% work. But if you want to make a tight team, if you want to find out who the people on your team are, do Stucks and Delights. And then you're going to find out that somebody else also has a seven-year-old that's playing t-ball or somebody else was late for work because they spilled their coffee on their blouse. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, everybody else's life is about the same as mine, right? Like it's a powerful tool. I love that. And that people can bring in a self or a part of themselves that's outside of the workplace. And that sounds like a very nice and tight, like you could do that in a short amount of time. It's not going to be a full meeting every huddle. You know, in, hud- that sounds in huddles, you never sit down. They should never last more than 15 minutes. Yeah. No, I, I think that that's fantastic. I mean, and you talked about quarterly check-ins, you know, understanding where am I in the strategy? I can tell you that I've worked with a lot of companies and the only companies that I've ever seen consistently do quarterly check-ins are publicly traded companies because they have to as their nature of how they report their earnings to the street. But yet I wonder why a lot of companies don't because I read or heard that the average company only checks in with their strategy once a year, maybe twice. Meaning they're they're not even looking to say like, did I make the mark? And I've absolutely been in companies where I've started a year. Here were all of my goals. We haven't talked about them through the entire year. And if I actually think about what am I working on today, it is completely unrelated. And actually that strategy was tossed out the window. We never had a conversation about it, but it's somehow not where my time is. And it's not even where I ended that year. I mean, we, there's a lot of set and forget that's happening within strategy where people are confused, they have competing priorities and think about how uncomfortable or hard that is to even figure out what do I have to do to be successful here when we're changing priorities all the time. I love that you talk about having that frequent, at least quarterly conversation. People can feel more connected. Right. And then (laughs) the only other point I'd make on the public, because I spent two thirds of my career working in public and although they are and they do report out to the street or auditors, that's reporting out and up. That I would say the vast majority of those companies are not reporting out and down into the team and vision. That's true. Because I think that the reason that I even probably had a pulse was because I listened to them. <laughs> because it, was, it helped me understand the annoying parts of my job that I didn't like, how they actually fit into the bigger picture, but you're right. No one sat and slowed down and said, Hey, do you want to know why this matters and why we're going to expect you to change in a completely different system that you were using? Um, But that, I think I learned that from being like, Oh my God, I listened to one and I realized how valuable that was for getting meaning in my work. Now, I know we've talked a lot about today. And one of the final points that I want to talk about in terms of harnessing the power of your people is to give purpose. From your experience, how do you help leaders give a purpose to their employees or to their team? Is it their strategy? Are there other ways that you recommend? The the best way for me to define purpose is is start with your core values. So if if you start with the things that are important to you you personally and your organization, if you're an entrepreneur is a great example, start with the things that are important to you, right? So core, core values. And then next go to core competencies. So what are you good at? Right. Or another way to say it was, what should you be good at? Because uh, core competencies can be like 80, 20. Um, but you should you should be able to declare victory on on 80 percent. And then if you bring in your core customer. Right. 
And then you bring these three things together, kind of the trifecta of values, competencies, and customer, and you bring those things together. That's a powerful place to, to create purpose. And then as we've been talking in our conversation, the part that, you know, a lot of companies do what I just mentioned, but then they are not selling that vision to their team. As a new team member comes in the door, they're not doing it with their team frequently enough because just like you are busy, they are all busy, right? Like there's no layups. Everybody's doing, you know, there's everybody needs to be working at, at full steam. But if you're not always and continually reinforcing what your core purpose is and who your core customer, you can lose sight of what that big picture vision is. And then that's, that's you know, like this, where there's no vision, right? People perish, right? So right. That, that, yeah. I love that. Well, and it reminds me of too, like what gets rewarded gets repeated. So if you don't, you know, talk to them about the values, how will they know if they're getting it right or wrong? If you don't share with them their competencies and how they, you know, bring a unique take or ability to the team, they're not going to see that they have value. Or if you don't point out how they've served your customers well, they might think, well, I don't even know what's working. I mean, it's so simple. And yet sometimes we don't do it. We need to slow down. Now, we've talked about a lot on today's conversation and we've got to wrap up. So I just have to ask the closing question. What are, what is one to two things that a leader could do today to harness the power of their people? What would you say? You're going to get off from listening to this podcast. Now go and do what? What would you want them to stand out of, out of everything that we've covered? What would you recommend? So I'll go all the way back to the beginning of our conversation where we were talking about being intentional. So let's imagine you're a leader and you have a new hire that's on your forecast, or you could even have somebody that's working in your organization right now that might not be like, like that's ever happened, but maybe you have somebody in your organization that's not performing as advertised. And so from the be intentional part, like as a leader, take a white piece of paper, shut your computer off, shut your phone off and go into a room and take a white piece of paper and lock yourself in there for 30 to 45 minutes with just you and a pen and say, what am I going to do about this? And I'm going to challenge myself to do things that I haven't done in the past. And if you just spend 30 minutes or 45 minutes thinking about that situation and you're doing it correctly, and now this might be hard to you know, get yourself into a discipline of doing this because nobody does this. But if you do this and you build a discipline of it, you should be able to fill that paper up with what you're going to do for that new hire. It'll be the job description. It'll be the onboarding. And that leads me right to number two, which is do something different. And make no mistake, when I say different, I mean better, right? So do something different than everybody else does. Don't follow the rest of the followers, right? Be a leader. I love that. that those are great. Take the time to think. You'll feel better for it and do something different. Jeff, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. How can our audience get in touch with you? Yeah, the best way to find me is uh, I'm, I'm pretty prevalent on LinkedIn or on my website, which is jeffeschleman.com. I'll spell it out since it's a little, it's a little alphabetic, but it's J-E-F-F-E-S-C-H-L-I-M-A-N, jeffeschleman.com. And on my website, you can 
take an assessment to see how much harmony you have in your life. I've got some videos on there that kind of unpack some more of the things that we've chatted about today. And you could just hit me up if you want to chat. I love it. Well, thank you so much for stopping by the Leadership Habit to talk about how to harness the power of your people. It was great to have you. And thank you for the insights and nuggets that you shared with our listeners. I really appreciate you being here today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jeff. I know that I'm walking away with a few different nuggets, how I can approach and make my meetings more concise, aka the techniques that he gave us for the huddle meeting. And then of course, that reminder that if we want to drive engagement, it starts with our intention before our employees actually become our employees. So if you want to connect with Jeff, you can find his link in our show notes, jeffashleman.com or you can find him on LinkedIn. And of course, you heard Jeff's story. He's a Crestcom Leadership Development Program graduate. And if you want to have the same accolade as him, invest in yourself, learn the tools to succeed, head on over to Crestcom.com. We would love to develop you and your organization or your team's skill sets to make you all more effective and better leaders. Until next time, everyone, have a great day.